That's right, we're in Luke chapter seven. Verse 36 through the end of chapter seven through 50 is a dinner party where this man who's a religious leader, a Pharisee named Simon, is hearing all this news about Jesus. He's hearing that he's a prophet and he's going, I gotta check this guy out for myself. And so read with me if you will, read along as I read. Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, him as Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word, and God, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our minds to receive your word, not just as information, but God, as your revelation to us, as you speaking and revealing yourself to us, that we would be transformed by your spirit and made more and more into the image of your son, Jesus, the perfect human who is also fully God, that we would reflect you, God, the way we were intended to, that we would do that better and better each day by your grace, by your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have this story, this interesting scene where Jesus is getting fame, notoriety, people are hearing about him. This is a prophet of God. This is someone sent by God to share God's word, but he's also doing some miraculous things. He's healing people who are sick. He's helping people to see who couldn't see before. He's letting people get up and walk who were crippled and could not walk. He's literally bringing people from death back to life. And so people are hearing all about this Jesus 
And there's this man, Simon. This is not Simon who would become Peter, one of Jesus' followers. We, we see earlier in Luke that he's already called that Simon. This is a Simon who is called a Pharisee, a, a religious ruler and teacher of the law. And it's interesting because a lot of times throughout the scripture, we would have interactions of Jesus with a Pharisee and we're almost never given a name. And so it's interesting to me that this story, this Pharisee, Simon, is called out by name. He was probably a very prominent figure, a very prominent religious ruler. And so he's getting word about this Jesus and you get this sense that he's like, all right, I'm gonna find out for myself. Invite him over to my house for dinner. I wanna see this Jesus. I wanna ask him questions. I wanna know what's going on. And it's fascinating to me that all of a sudden you get this stranger that comes to the home, to the table, while they're having dinner. It's interesting, like, it, if think about, like, you're having a dinner party and just some stranger walks in the door, right? And they sit down and, like, pass me the butter. That would be super awkward, right? Now, apparently, this is a culture where, as we saw a couple weeks ago, like, it's socially acceptable to rip off someone's roof and <laughs> lower someone down. So, I don't know, maybe there's, there's a different cultural norm here, but... A lot of people think actually when two prominent figures like this would gather together, a Pharisee, a religious leader, and a rabbi, a teacher, especially one who it seems to be as a prophet, are getting together, what they would typically do is leave their door open so that people can gather around outside and hear their conversation and learn from that. And so maybe that's kind of what's going on here. The door's open. It's like a welcoming environment. Come here, this conversation between Jesus and Simon. And I, I kind of get this sense that in Simon's interaction, especially when we skip a little forward in, in the dinner conversation, when he thinks to himself, if this man was a prophet, if he really were a prophet, there's a sense Jesus has been being called a prophet. Luke makes a point to point that out in chapter 7 leading up to this. That Luke's like, all right, let's find out for sure. There's this sense that he's like welcoming. Let's see what happens when this woman comes to the table. What does he do then? Ah, gotcha, Jesus. See, if you really were a prophet, you would know. You would know better. Have you guys ever been to a dinner party or gone to a friend's house for dinner and like kind of felt a little unwelcomed maybe at a certain point? Or have you ever just even felt like really nervous about how, what kind of, uh, what kind of image you're going to portray, like how it's going to go. Will they accept me, especially if you're meeting someone new? So when Bethany and I first started dating, and I had met her parents already at this point, but this was the first dinner at her parents' house that I was meeting her entire family. And so I go, and she's like, it's fine. They're going to love you. Um, my uncle's a little, like, he's a, he's a little harsh sometimes, but I think he's going to love you. You'll be all right. I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. So I show up to this thing, and we're eating outside on the patio. And on the patio table, it's a glass table, right, sitting on, on a metal rim. And it had rained the night before, and a bunch of water got collected inside of where the, the glass and the metal meets uh, in the spot where I was sitting only, apparently. And so I'm sitting down, and we're just hanging out, and we're talking for a long time. And I'm, it's going great. Like, I'm telling jokes, and people are laughing, and I'm engaging with them. And there's just a slow drip, 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 so subtle that I didn't notice it. 
until I went to stand up. And it had been dripping into my lap the entire time. And I stood up and I was like, oh, I sat back down really quick. <laughs> and then I whispered over to Bethany. And so she like walked out with me and I just followed closely behind her. <laughs> and we went to the bathroom and got a hairdryer <laughs> and tried to take care of it. But everyone saw. I didn't, I didn't escape. They noticed. And her uncle and her cousin to this day still bring it up. I think actually this last Christmas was the first year we've married about 15 years. It was the first year they didn't say anything. I'm sure they forgot and they'll make it up later, but it just stuck with me. Uh, this is obviously nothing in comparison to how this woman must have been feeling when she steps into this religious leader's home. Now, a lot of people uh, question what exactly was the sin of this woman? Uh, a lot of theologians think the way that that's worded in the original text, a sinful woman, was actually the way they would use, the phrasing they would use to talk about a prostitute. And so this is not only a woman who is not culturally, uh, what's, what's the word, not culturally celebrated at that time. You know, women were very demeaned, put in their place. Not only was she a woman, she was a sinful woman. And that phrase there is like, hey, yeah, I recognize we're all sinners, but like this woman, let me tell you, she, she's done some bad. And people know it. Simon apparently knows it. He knows exactly who she is. And so she comes into this house, and not only does she come in right off the bat as a sinful woman who people look down on, but she comes in and it, the scene that Luke paints is like she's kind of making a fool of herself. Like she falls down at his feet. So the, when it says they're reclining at table, tables weren't like, they didn't have chairs, they went up high like our day. And so they would sit down on the floor and they would like lean over to the side. I'm not gonna do it right now for you, but they would lean over to the side and so their feet were kind of like sprawled out to the side and a little bit behind them and tucked behind them like this. And so it says that she came up behind Jesus and fell at his feet and starts weeping at his feet. At his dirty feet. Because as we're told later, Simon didn't give him anything to wash his feet. And they didn't have kicks like we do today. They had sandals and they were walking through the same dirt roads that the animals would walk through and poop all over the place. All right, and so this was very common. When you went into someone's house, they would give you something to wash your feet or they would have a servant wash your feet. This hadn't happened yet for Jesus. She falls down at his feet and she's weeping there. She's causing a scene. I want you guys to picture someone right now who may be the least, uh, the last person you would want at your house for dinner. Just get that. Picture that person in your head. It could be a type of person. Uh, this is a type of person that, yeah, we can go out and we could serve on March 10th when we do the serve the city thing, right? It could be the person we go out and we serve and we feel good about, but come in my home, I don't know. Come sit at my table next to my kids. Or it could be a very specific person that you're thinking of. Uh, this is a person like, man, you don't know what they did to me. Do you know what they've done? That's the last person I want sitting at my table in my seat next to me while we're having dinner. So just get that person in your head right now. Hold on to that. 
This is a woman who comes into this house. Simon does not want her there. He's curious, though, what is Jesus going to do? This is a woman who never would have gotten this invitation like Jesus got an invitation. And so she comes into this home, and she starts weeping, falls down at his feet. She does some pretty incredible things here. Verse 39, I'm sorry, verse uh, 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Uh, another translation just says it's a, it's a really nice perfume, okay, a bottle of perfume. She brings that, and so coming behind him at his feet, falls down weeping, wets his feet with her tears, wipes them with the hair of her head. It's like this, this nice jar of perfume seems to be the only thing that she has in her possession but she's just using whatever she has. She will wipe his feet with her hair. The dirt, the nasty stuff on his feet is now coming onto her hair that she's gonna walk around with and smell as she leaves his home. Wiping his feet with her tears and her hair of her head and kisses his feet and anoints them with the ointment And the Pharisee who invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if this man were a prophet, I got you, Jesus. You've been coming in and messing everything up, turning things upside down, getting people to follow you instead of following us, instead of trusting what we say. We are in charge. We're the the Pharisees. We're the ones who have studied the word day and night since we were little. We're the ones who do all the right things. We're the ones who keep the people in mind. We tell them, don't even, don't even take so many steps on the Sabbath or you're going to break it. We keep them from breaking the Sabbath that God has given to us. Who do you think you are, Jesus? If you really were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. If you only knew about this person. If you only knew about this sort of person, you would know why I don't have them over for dinner, right? And Jesus, answering him, said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon's like, go ahead and say it. And Jesus starts to tell a story. I love the way that Jesus teaches and interacts with people. Like, he doesn't come in and just download information to people. He doesn't come in and go like, hey, do you know that in Isaiah, Isaiah wrote down this and said this, and let me tell you, uh, in Moses' law, and just start teaching them, right? I mean, there's, there's moments of that, but most of Jesus' interactions with people is listening, asking questions, and then he goes, let me tell you a story. And usually by the end of the story, he doesn't even explain it, right? A lot of times. And this one he does. Uh, but people are just like, what? What does that mean? And he's like, let me tell you a story. And if you, at one point Jesus says this, if you have ears to hear, you'll hear it. Are you seeking to understand? Do you really want to know the truth of God? Do you really want to know why I'm here and what I'm doing? Or do you have your own agenda? And so he says, Simon, here's a story. There's a guy 
that lent out some money, two particular people owed him a lot. One owed him 50 denarii, one owed him 500. Now a denarii was like one day's worth of wages in that time. So think about like you got to work 50 days to pay off this debt and all of your money, all of your income for those 50 days goes directly to that debt. So you don't get to use any of that money to feed yourself or your family or to pay any of your bills. So you can't just like pay it off in 50 days, right? What you're going to do if you do that is you're going to find like you just paid off that debt and incurred a whole lot of other debts, right? So it's almost impossible for the common person this time to even pay off the 50 denarii debt. Both of these are huge and outrageous debts that Jesus says neither one of them could pay back. So one owes 50, one owes 500. They're both hopeless. They're both in trouble. They both owe this person and they're at the whim of what he decides. And this debt collector decides, you know what? It's forgiven. Both of you. You owe me 50, don't worry about it. You owe me 500, don't worry about it. I want to find a bank that works like that. That would be amazing. And Jesus says, which one do you think is going to love that master more? Now think about it. Like they're both in debt beyond what they can pay, right? So it should seem like, oh man, they're both just filled with joy and awe. But one of them has this incredible looming debt that they have absolutely zero hope to ever pay off. Not even if a family member came in and said, I'm going to work alongside you and help you with this. 500 days of work. That's a lot of money for a person in this time, a Jewish person under Roman oppression. They couldn't own land themselves. They're already in debt to whoever they work for. This is a big, insurmountable debt. And Simon goes, well, yeah, I guess, I guess the one that owes more money because he's going to realize, man, there's no way I could do that. He just forgave 500 denarii. That's incredible. Simon's starting to understand this idea that, okay, if, if you have been forgiven a little bit, awesome, you're going to be pretty thankful. But if you've been forgiven a lot, that's going to increase your gratitude. Like if I could draw a graph right now, all right, and we got the, sorry, I'm a math nerd. If we got the, the two axes going right here, right? So the amount that you owe in money as that climbs, the amount that you are grateful for that being forgiven. And as the amount you owe climbs, the amount, see the little squiggly line starts going this way. Can you picture in your heads? I should have drawn one out here for you guys. Actually, uh, Chris Gonzalez, he is one of the pastors at Missio Day Tempe, did draw one out, and he texted it to me this week, and I was just lazy and didn't get up there on the screen. So use your imaginations. So a little squiggly line goes up, like, the more debt you're forgiven, the more grateful you are. You see how that works? Like, if I went to one of my sons, and he had to pick up the dog poop today, and I said, don't worry, I'm going to do this for you he's probably going to be pretty ecstatic. Thank you. That's awesome. He may not show gratitude the way I would want him to show it, and he'd go right to playing video games. Like, this is great. I could just, 
but he's going to be pretty thankful. But if I went to him, I was like, for the entire year, you don't have to do this. I got you. He's probably going to be even more grateful, right? So Simon gets this. This is just logic. Of course, Jesus, the one who was forgiven more, he is going to be more grateful, more thankful. He's going to love his master more for that. And Jesus says, yeah, you answered correctly. And then he flips it on him. This is one of those few moments where Jesus goes, let me explain where I'm getting at for you, okay? Simon, you're, you're a little thick-headed. I want you to see where I'm going with this. You answered right. Now let me show you which one of those two people you are and which one of those two people this woman is. Jesus does something pretty incredible here that I think we can miss a lot of times if we don't read it closely. So Jesus says, you answered right. Verse 44, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. Did you catch that? Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. So he's speaking to Simon, but he's looking at the woman. And he starts talking about all these things the woman has done for him and all these things that Simon failed to do. And so imagine if like, if someone were to ask me about my wife and she's standing right here. So picture Bethany. If you haven't met Bethany, picture a really gorgeous woman standing right here. And someone, Shane asked me about my wife and I go, let me tell you about my wife. And I look at her. I say, she's the most beautiful. This is going to be recorded, right? She's not in here. I want to hear this. This is the most beautiful woman I have ever met. What am I doing by intentionally looking at her as I'm saying this? What am I communicating? I'm including her? Yeah. What else? I'm making sure she hears me. Yeah, I'm answering Shane's question, but I want to make sure she knows, she hears it. I'm, I'm including her into that so that she knows this is what I think of you, right? And that could be, so guys, just take a minute and know that. That could be pretty powerful, more than just going like, Shane's like, so tell me about your wife. I'm like, she's pretty cool, man. And I just keep looking at him. <laughs> but like, I, I look at her, I'm like, let me tell you about this woman, right? So Jesus is doing something pretty powerful here. He's a, he's a pretty good communicator, I think. He knows what he's doing. And so Jesus intentionally looks at the woman and says to Simon. We did this class with our, uh, this class Bethany I teach on Fridays at a charter high school. And it's on just like leadership stuff. It's an elective with the students. And one of the classes we did last week was on listening and communicating. And so we were talking about just different forms of communication. And we talked about how when you're listening, you want to listen with your whole self, Right? Because when you're communicating, you also communicate with your whole self. It's not just your mouth and your ears, but it's making eye contact. It's the facial expressions you have on your face. Some of you are scowling at me right now. You're telling me I'm not sure what this guy's talking about, right? It's the body posture you have, your body language, all that stuff is how you communicate. It's with your whole self. And Jesus is going, I want to communicate something right now with more than just my words. I'm turning away from Simon to answer Simon's question about this woman. 
So that's something pretty powerful he's saying and doing in communication to her. But who else is Jesus communicating to besides the woman? Simon, right? What is he communicating to Simon when he turns away from him to answer his question? Like, think about Tim asks me a question. Ask me a question, Tim. I'll put you on the spot. Uh, my last vacation, Steve. I'm not going to look at you anymore. You're winking at me weird. <laughs> my last vacation, Nathaniel, was uh, we went to California. It was a ton of fun, man. You should really go. Have you been to San Diego? Okay. Yeah, you should go. It's beautiful. Like, what did I just communicate to Tim right now? <laughs> that was pretty harsh, wasn't it? Sorry, Tim. I love you, man. We're going to catch up, and I'll tell you about my vacation later, okay? So there's this, this sense that, like, turning away from Simon as he's answering him, that's a pretty harsh response. Why, why do you think that is? I mean, Jesus is like this loving person, right? He's God in the flesh, and God is love, and Jesus has come to heal the sick and to help the poor and to speak good news to all people. Jesus is this nice, wonderful, heartwarming Jesus, isn't he? And so, like, why would Jesus do this harsh thing to Simon, who invited him into his home for dinner? And he just, like, disrespects him. He turns away like that to talk to him, but looking at the woman. What are your thoughts? Why would Jesus do something like this? Yeah, you think you're pretty important, Simon, because of your status in society. You're, you're a religious leader. But this woman here, she's worth my time as well. Yeah. What were you going to say, Amy? Yeah, that's definitely communicating this deep tenderness to this woman and like an appreciation for how she's come in and served him. Jessica. Mm. Um, and just how that person then perceives that experience and can turn very negative 
I think that's a great point because if you think about if you were to put yourself in this woman's shoes, she probably had experienced that quite often in life. Like she probably would have been used to if she was even allowed anywhere near this dinner party, like they would maybe be talking about her and how vile and dirty she was while not ever actually looking at her and speaking to her, right? So I think that's huge. Yeah, there's this like, no, I see you. I acknowledge you. I love you. Yeah, the opposite of the dehumanizing, he's like, no, I'm valuing you as a human created in the image of God. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. He's teaching both of them in that moment in the most effective way possible. Were you going to say something? And he's also using it as an attention getter for everyone else that was listening. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because that would be, pre- I mean, even when I just did that example right now with you guys, like, you guys were paying attention and looking at that. Like, he was definitely getting everyone's attention in that. And then everyone hears it and they go, whoa, who is this person, right? Yeah. Michael. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's this, he, he's communicating to both, and for her, it's this beautiful message of forgiveness, and I accept you. And for him, it's a rebuke, right? It's a, do you not know, Simon, how in need you are? You, you think you have saved yourself with your self-righteousness by following all the rules and doing all the right things. Simon, let me tell you something. I came into your house, you didn't welcome me at all. You just got me in here so that you could try to make me look bad, right? It was custom when you would come in, because like I talked about with the dirty feet, to give them something to wash their feet. It was also customary to greet one another with a kiss. And so depending on that relationship, that kiss would look different. But usually if you welcome a stranger even into your home, you'd kiss them on the forehead in that culture. Some of you are like, I hope Chris doesn't invite me over to dinner and like, Kiss me on the forehead. It's super weird. But also customary, too, to anoint their head with oil. There is very uh, practical and medicinal purposes, but also symbolic purposes to anointing with oil, right? And there's a lot of meaning into that that we don't have enough time to go into the rest of this morning. But one of them is, like, when we wake up in the morning, we wash our face. And maybe some of you might put lotion on your face uh, just to kind of help protect from the sun. This was part of that. That was one of the practical reasons. Okay, you've been outside in the sun all day. Welcome into my home. Let me care for you. This was customary to do even for a stranger that you welcomed into your home. And by Simon not doing any of these three things, he's basically spitting in Jesus' face. He's saying, I don't respect you. Oh, you think you're something? You got a name for yourself? I don't respect you. I'm the religious leader here. Let's find out who you really are, Jesus. Oh, see if you were a prophet, right? He's totally devaluing and disrespecting Jesus. And so Jesus gives it right back. And that sounds kind of harsh. Like some of us might have this idea of Jesus, like, no, no, he, he wouldn't do that, right? He would still accept. No, 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 there's a difference here 
that Luke is trying to point out to us in this story, in the way that he writes this, there's a difference between this woman who has sinned. She's got a lot of sin going on in her life. She is messed up. She has fallen short of the glory of God. She's not living in the way that her creator intended her to live in a way that points back to what he's like. But that's true of Simon too. Simon maybe only owes 50 denarii and she 500, but they both have insurmountable debts that neither one could pay off. And what we're seeing here is they're both in the same boat. They both have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans tells us that every single human being has fallen short of the glory of God that we were created to portray. Both of you. But the difference is, Simon, this woman, she came in and she greeted me with a kiss. She washed my feet with her tears. She anointed my feet with oil. She came in and she not only showed a respect for me, Simon, she showed that she loves me. She cared for me as a human being. She knew that she could approach me. Isn't that incredible that this woman who was ostracized by her community knew she could come up to this Jesus she's been hearing about because he's been going around healing people and touching people that nobody else would be around at all. Maybe he would let me come to him too. And she comes to him and she shows that she loves him and she's grateful. Jesus, you would even let me come to you? You would even let me? Is that the approach that we have when we come to Jesus? Or do we come more like Simon? Well, of course. Of course, God knows all these things that I do for him, right? God knows that I studied and I did my quiet time or God knows that I served these people or God knows that I cared for my church family this week. Of course he accepts me. Or do we come in this broken posture, poor in spirit as Jesus was teaching earlier in Luke, recognizing, no, no, I, I am a sinner I do not deserve to approach this perfect, holy God. And yet, he accepts me in. And Jesus is doing even something more profound. He's communicating to Simon, to the woman, to everyone around, and even to you and I with his gaze. Do you know that all throughout scripture, it talks about God turning his face to people when they would get favor but hiding his face from them when they didn't have it. You, you might have heard the benediction given, uh, and it's in Numbers. And it, actually, let me read it for you, or I'll botch it. Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. This is Aaron giving a blessing. Or I'm sorry, this is Moses giving the blessing to Aaron by God. And God tells him to say this. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This was a blessing, a benediction, a word, a good word of peace sending people out that was used. It was very customary for the Jewish people. They knew it well. They used it with one another. God's face shining on you. He sees you. You have his favor, his grace, his mercy is on you because he looks to you. Jesus, the image of God fully, is sitting there in that moment and he's going, my face is upon this woman. 
Simon, you rejected me first. My face is turning away from you. To look upon the one who knows that she's in desperate need of me. And the beautiful thing is, we don't know how the story ends. Like, when, when that dinner's over, will the rest of the community understand what Jesus just did and start treating this woman differently? Will they now accept her into society? Will they turn their faces upon her the way Jesus did? Will Simon get what Jesus was saying? Will he understand, wait, I am in need too. Even if I don't think I'm as dirty as she is. Oh man, I'm in such need of grace. Will he understand that? And we don't know, but the beautiful thing is that there's still time for Simon after this story. Just like there's still time for you and I. Because Jesus was turning his face, the face of the Lord, upon sinners like you and I. And we get this moment at the end of Luke where Jesus is paying for all of that sin and he's on the cross and there's two people, one on either side of him. One that starts mocking him along with all the other people. And one, one that says, Lord, will you remember me? I'm a sinner, I need you. And who does Jesus look to? Jesus looks to that man and says, today you will be with me in paradise. God's favor is on you now because you know you need it. All of you need it. Do you know you need it? And in that moment too, we know Jesus cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Because we're told in scripture that Jesus not only took on our sin, he became sin. Our sin, our rebellion against God, Jesus becomes that. And God hides his face from that, that moment on the cross. Jesus takes that on for you and I, the face of God turning away in that moment so that his face could shine on us. So that, as it says, the Lord can bless you and keep you. The Lord can make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord can lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. How does Jesus end his words to the woman? Back in Luke 7. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word for all of us this morning too. If you have not recognized your deep need for Jesus, you think, no, I'm good. I got it all together. This is the invitation is that Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Whether you owe 50 or 500, whether you've sinned a little or a whole lot, you're in need of forgiveness and I'm offering it to you. And for those of you who have recognized that, the invitation is just to, to walk in that peace. He says to that woman, you can go in peace now. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you because you recognized you couldn't do it on your own. You need me. May that be the posture of all of us today and every day going forward. Pray with me.